Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, it's just gone midday. So welcome to BrainGuru Studios for this latest episode of The Call. As you know, it's 10 stocks picked by you. We have two experts and we have one hour to get through it all. It's Monday, the 20th of December, and I'm Andrew Page, your special guest host for this week, filling in for the team who are on a well-deserved break. So helping me uh, answer some questions today, we've got two of the industry's finest. Joining me both on Skype in these COVID conditions, we've got Mathan Somersundran from Deep Data Analytics. Mathan, how are you? Good to be here. Good to hear, mate. And Gaurav Sodhi from The Intelligent Investor. Gaurav, always good to see you. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Mathan. Nice to be here. Hey. Very good. Very good. So let's, uh, as we know, we've got 10 stocks to get through and we are absolutely going to do that. But we always do have a stock of the day. And frankly, it's pretty tough to go past Magellan Financial Group today. Uh, market watchers will know it has not been the best time for the uh, company of late, down about 50% uh, from their highs through to the end of last week. Today, dropping close to another 30%. Some news out this morning that UK wealth manager St. James Place has terminated its mandate. That's going to hack off about 12% of their annual revenues. Jeez, gents, what do we make of this? Nathan, I'll start with you. Oh, this is going to be fun. Uh, let me start with, uh, I guess, when we were looking at it on the multiples um, around middle of last year, Magellan was trading at uh, peak premium. Um, people were excited. You know, Hamish was out there uh, and he's smart. He's very smart. Uh, but there was a capacity restraint for the fund. They were doing really well. There's a lot of inflows and it started to turn. And that was a sign when things are going great and everyone's pricing in like it's going to continue forever. Uh, when the dynamic changes, you've got to be scared. The first downgrade was pretty much at middle of last year. Uh, and we went from there, we got out of the stock. That was a sell for us. And since then, the numbers haven't improved. It's been on the decline. They are doing a, a unique model. Um, they're doing pieces that are unique, putting together in a tough market. There's a lot of market manipulation. I mean, these guys are really good when markets are normal. This is not a normal market, it's really tough. And they're a global play. They work, you know, they've benefited a lot from what's happened in the US. So it's gonna be really tough for them uh, when things are normalizing. Uh, the fact that they didn't get the massive outperformance through the bounce up, which a lot of people did. I mean, they got it for the wrong reason, but they got it. And so for Magellan, it's gonna get tougher. So in the short term, I think with what's happening and the media beat up, it's gonna be tough for them. And the upgrade cycle hasn't started. So for me, and I, I've been warning for a while that this is in a downgrade cycle. It had a multi-year upgrade cycle. Now it's in a multi-year downgrade cycle. No need to jump in and try and pick the bottom. Wait for the first term. They are good managers. When things normalize, people panic. And when a stock is in a downgrade, this will get more people getting out. 
Remember, the shorters in the last two months went from about two, two and a half percent to four, four and a half percent. So the insiders knew there's more bad news to come. So that gives you a flag of what's playing out. So at this point, I'm not trying to pick the bottom, but look, they know what they're doing. When the market normalizes, this is a stock that I want to get into, but not right now. Gaurav, what do you make of it? Uh, are you one to try and pick bottoms? Is there value around these levels or is it better to wait as Nathan says? Yeah, this has become an unlikely battleground stock. And um, it, it, I say unlikely because he's a business that, that has $200 million in net cash, is stunningly profitable on every metric, has grown its business from nothing to over $100 billion of fun, has the best distribution network in the industry and has built relationships, trust in a brand. So it's got everything going for it. And yet somehow this has become the stock that we are now arguing about. It's the battleground stock where it has its um, supporters and it has some really loud <laughs> and, uh, and uh, if I may say so, Nathan, obnoxious naysayers as well. <laughs> um, but... For, for me, so I own Magellan. Um, it's been a, a buy for intelligent investor, and we own a little bit in the funds as well. So this is a it's, it's a, it's a company that hasn't worked out for us so far, but I go back to the original investment case, and that was that this is a company that's not just a fund manager. And I think there's a narrative mismatch about what's happening at Magellan and what people think are happening at Magellan. Yes, it's built out a big, a big global fund manager, but there's actually a lot more happening. Hamish Douglas is not trying to create a fund manager. He's trying to create another Berkshire. Um, he's built, he's got an income product. He's got an infrastructure product. He's got a private equity firm. He's got an investment bank all tumbled into this one group where earnings are currently dominated by the fund business. Um, they're actually growing in all those other spheres as well. Um, you know, the domestic uh, fund business, the infrastructure business, I think the uh, the private equity business has some really good assets in there, recorded at cost, but I think worth far more than they were a couple of years ago. There's lots of interesting things happening here, and the funds business is, is not traveling so well at the moment. So we know there's been a big redemption. Superficially, the market's reaction to the redemption appears absurdly negative. But here's the thing, right? Um, the market's actually making a bet. It's, it's laying down the probability that more money is going to follow St. James. And so far, the market's been correct about the probabilities. I've been wrong about those probabilities. So it could continue to play out that way. Um, I'm, we're continuing to hold. Um, I'm continuing to hold my stock. I, I, I would say it is, it is dangerous to, to buy when a stock falls 30% in a day because that the market's really giving you a signal there. Um, and I think you ignore those signals at your peril unless you're very, very confident about something. And so I would I would hold back to a hold, um, but I don't think this is over for Magellan. Um, you know, look, this is controversial, but in my mind, having, you know, working in a funds management business and a research business and being involved in this industry for a while, it's clear to me that performance matters but it matters a lot less than you think it does in growing that business. You know, we've, outper we've outperformed Magellan for years and years. I've outperformed Magellan for years and years. There's no way we could raise the money Magellan has. There's no way we could match Magellan in any of its capacities. And that's true for almost every fund manager. So there's still a really good business here. Um, 
It's just uh, going through a bit of a, a battle at the moment, the way every good business does. I think there's plenty here to hold. Yeah, some fascinating uh, comments there. I'll I would love in there. to dig into it more because, as you say, it's shaping up to be a real battleground stock. And it's always interesting here when both sides make really good arguments. Um, I think uh, it's either going to be a bargain of the century here or something that's going to be very fascinating to watch. But either way, we have 10 other stocks to get through here. So let's do that right now. We're going to start off with Charter Hall, the Long Whale uh, Real Estate Investment Trust. The uh, code there for those playing along at home is CLW. Uh, look, only listed in 2016, about 468 uh, properties. Uh, yes, lots of acronyms for this one. So those uh, that don't know, these are, these are uh, funds that focus on real estate uh, units that have a long uh, time until expiry here. So hopefully a bit more certainty in terms of the income stream that, that produces. Uh, look, things have gone pretty well for them so far. Not uh, stunning, but not too bad either. You're getting almost a 6% yield. Gaurav, I'll start with you this time. Uh, this mm. one's from Steve. Should Steve take a closer look at these or should, is there better fishing elsewhere? Yeah, look, I have mixed feelings towards these, um, towards Whale, because uh, they do own wonderful assets. There's no question about them. Um, the, uh, the data, the, they own a couple of data centers, um, exchanges, um, um, distribution centers. Their tenants are sort of 90% um, large, um, very well capitalized, they, well, very well capitalized, low risk clients. Um, I think about half the portfolio is triple net leases. And if you don't know what that means, um, every time you're looking for a lease and you're the uh, asset owner, make sure it's a triple net lease because it just means your tenant pays for all the, um, the fixtures and fittings and you get to keep the capital upside. So it's, it's a wonderful structure with great assets. Why do I have mixed feelings? Because they just, uh, they just took over. They just bought Ale, which is a business we love at Intelligent Investor. We've held it for about 10 years and um, I was sorry to see it go. I think it got taken over at a too cheap price, um, and uh, I hate them for that. But I think that's a forgivable sin, especially when it's trading around asset value and yield 6%. I think this is eminently viable. These guys clearly have a focus strategy and are executing pretty well. The one thing, one note of caution I will throw out is that the cap rates are very low, 4.7%. That's really squeezing down there. And in a higher interest rate environment, those cap rates will rise and those valuations on the books will fall. So just keep that in mind. But I think the yield is is safe here at 6%. It's a pretty good return. I think you're likely to get a couple of points um, in capital growth as well. So I'm going to go buy with this, Andrew, but this is really for income seekers. If you're a, a more growth-oriented investor, there's probably not much for you to see here. But for income seekers, um, there's plenty to like. And this is a, a good collection of high-quality assets. Yeah, fair enough. Nathan, what do you think? Just a bit of a follow-on question there from Steve. He's making note of the fact that he's going to end up with some, uh, as an AL shareholder, he's going to end up with some units here. Gaurav's uh, answered that, um, I, I guess, indirectly. But what, what should Steve do with his newly acquired CLW stock? Yeah, look, I think it depends on what you're after. If you're after a, a yield portfolio and this is playing a part in that, I think it's fine. Um, I think it'll be relatively stable. Um, I, I don't see this shooting the lights out, but you're going to get your five, six percent. And I think through the cycle, I mean, it'll be choppy. Um, we're probably going to have a year. I think 2022 is starting out just like uh, 2021. Uh, you know, it, it may be different this time, probably not. Uh, and so these kind of things are going to be patchy. We're going to be opening up. We're going to be closing down. We're going to be opening up. People are going to come less to the office and all of these things. 
um, you know, retail spending, all of these things are going to be patchy on and off. So in that context, I think the, the asset base is good enough that it's going to hold. Uh, and Gaurav's right. And the other thing that you have to remember is we're in a deleveraging cycle. I mean, the U.S. Fed has done a, a complete backflip and started to redefine the word transitory. Uh, so in that context, what they're telling you is they're worried that inflation is going to remain relatively high. So that we're going to go through that period where interest rates will rise, leverage will come off a bit, and these beasts are carrying a fair amount of leverage. So they will get tightened up a bit. But look, I think it's okay. Um, if I'm picking a top, you know, 10 or 15 stocks, it's probably not up there. But if you're, you know, have a yield aspect to your investment strategy, and this is part of that, then it's fine. Um, so if you're a yield player, I think it's a hold. If you're not a yield player, there's better places to be. I totally get what you're saying, and uh, nuance and context always matters. But I am going to push you on this one, Nathan, <laughs> only because this one is in the calls portfolio. So if you give it a oh, no, okay. we're going to kick it out. So what do you reckon we do? Oh, look, in the current macro environment, you. I would uh, keep it as in the portfolio because I think where the risk return is, I think this one does much better than most other sectors in the current. Because if you look at the history of tapering cycles, bond yields come off in all tapering cycles. And in that environment, probably trust tend to hold up better. All right. Okay. Let's move on to something completely different. Nathan, I'm going to stay with you. Uh, this one's from Anushika and the stock is Universal Store Holdings. The ticker here is UNI specialty uh, youth retailer. Uh, you're looking at something like 68 stores, I think, um, and a pretty rapidly growing online presence, which makes up about an eighth uh, of their revenue at this point in time. Only listed about a year ago. It's gone pretty well. Sales are up 36% in the last full year, even on a same store basis. Sales are up 28%. I'm sure there's, uh, speaking of nuance, I'm sure there's a little bit in there given the, uh, the period that we've just gone through. But I also note that the PE is only 15 for a company whose top line seems to be growing rather rapidly. What do we do with this one? Yeah, look, uh, we'll probably get a PhD from Gaurav on this one. Um, he, he picked this very early. And uh, the thing about retail sector is you, you can see through the pandemic, obviously we had massive handouts. Obviously we had low interest rates and it's really boosted retail spending. Some parts of the retail spending where they've got really good management, took advantage, understood the thematic, and evolved with the thematic, and have actually held it, held their model even better post-pandemic. There's a lot of lazy retailers just ran it up and then got found out after the cycle. Now, Universal Store, um, Universal Store is actually one of those ones that actually have a pretty good model. Uh, they create new brands, they're quite good at how they do the marketing, they move their uh, young customer base through the brands, um, they do it really well. Um, their online is the future, and I think they continue to do well. The only problem for me is there's a couple of things. One, I think the the, the I suppose the junior retail or junior customers have had a pretty good 12 to 18 months, and that's kind of coming to an end with all the handouts now fading away. So in that context, it's going to get a bit tougher for them in the spending side. Um, and the other side of it is everyone knows about Universal Home Stores. Uh, I think probably, I mean, even now my daughter is getting into retail work uh, during the holidays. I've actually seen the stores and, uh, you know, they, they do really well and it's quite popular. So I think they're a pretty good brand, but everyone knows about it. I think most of the market has jumped on. Um, I don't think you're going to get that surprise factor uh, when they do well. The thing about retail stocks is when they look really cheap, it's a cyclical high. <laughs> so it's a bit like miners. When they look really cheap, beware. 
these guys are really good. When there's a decent pullback, these are the type of stocks I want to buy. But right now, I wouldn't be jumping in. Yeah, Gaurav, what do you make of uh, that? I, I think uh, Nathan makes a really good point here, sort of this mm. potential for a bit of a value trap here. And the PE looks super low, but we often forget that that can go higher, not because the price corrects upwards, but because earnings take a bit of a tumble off perhaps a, a cyclical high. Is that the case here? Or do you think maybe from a long-term view, there's, there's a bit more to it? Yeah, some, uh, some wisdom there for Nathan for once. Uh, yes, uh, I, I completely agree. <laughs> These, um, these retailers, you've got to be really careful of buying these on low PEs. Um, I have done it in the past and never, ever has it worked out for me. Uh, Lavisa is one that we bought on a silly multiple of would have been more than 30 times, close to 40 times when we first bought it. Um, and it was down at, uh, at four or five bucks and it's now 20 something. And I still think it's a wonderful business, right? So you know i the, the more i do this um andrew and i don't know if, if you agree with this or not but the more the more ambivalent i am towards pe's that they're okay for some businesses i actually think for most businesses it's a terrible way of um of of making a decision to buy or sell or hold a stock it's an okay shorthand um you know one piece of the puzzle but but as a decision point it's not the right lever to pull um now universal store specifically um yeah I, I i really like this retailer this is a, a really good retailer i've had my eyes on it since it listed and i've probably um eaten out um you know i've, I've talked so much about this to me and i don't think he's ever bought it <laughs> um <laughs> but but the good thing about it, what i really like about it is that this is a an unusual example of where the um where the retailer from the very start has managed to implement um omni-channel retailing and i really hate that term but this is a genuine integration of online and in-store retailing. Um, they're able to deliver from in-store, from, from DCs, um, um, and uh, they're actually expanding um, their DC at the moment. You can see from the growth in the online store that the logistics actually goes hand in hand with their physical stores as well. So most, most retailers, um, they, they're, on, they're, they're in-store experiences, and then they've just kind of tacked on a website, um, and they're trying to trying their best to manage website web store growth while managing online uh, in-store growth as well whereas this is a, a much more cohesive strategy from from the very beginning and that seems to have made all the difference um, outstanding management one of the best retail ceos i've seen in some time and um, she's been with the business for for more than 10 years and um, uh, they've actually shown the ability to grow other brands and that's the other thing i look for in retailers retailer in retail, you can't be just about reselling something. You really have to innovate and do something different. They've got an incubated new brand that they're trying out. They're rolling out a handful of stores to test it. They've tested out a few other things as well. And these guys don't just resell other stuff. They actually uh, curate um, curate uh, rags inside the store. And so it's a very careful selection of what young people are looking for and, and what, what young people really want. I think it's a great business. Um, I just find retail difficult to figure out at the minute because you've got, uh, you know, all this COVID impact um, is playing havoc with the accounts. And my suspicion is that they might be over earning a little bit, which accounts for the lowish PE. I'm inclined to, um, to hold at this point, but this is one that's certainly on my watch list. I think if it falls a little bit further, um, I'd be moving to buy. But for now, I'm just a bit cautious on the, on the consumer at the moment, and I'd be going um, a hold.
Yeah, yeah, some great comments there too. I agree, retail is just diabolically hard and uh, also mm. PE ratio is just a, a lovely sort of little rule of thumb, but just fraught with error. And if only it was a matter of buying low PE stocks and making a fortune, yep. well, we'd all be doing a lot better perhaps. So um, I should mention that one was in the portfolio as well. Well, it was, it's not anymore. Uh, we didn't get a unanimous buy there. Hey guys, we need to uh, kick it up a gear because we're only on stock three for the day and uh, time is ticking very fast. Let's have a crack yes. at Heramed. The code here is HMD. This one was sent in by Jeffrey. This is a company that helps remote uh, monitor pregnancies as well. So it uh, looks as though it's had some uh, interest from some players like the Mayo Clinic, Ramsey Healthcare, etc. Very small company though, $48 million in market cap. Uh, sales have moved around a lot here, but still loss making, uh, raised a bit of money recently. What do we think? Gaurav, I'll start with you this time. Ah, well, you've come to the right place, Andrew, because I am the expert on uh, pregnancy monitoring systems out of Israel. So, um, <laughs> yes, well done. Look, Andrew, to be honest with you, I don't know. Um, it's a $50 million business that makes no revenue. That uh, it's in its current, the product is currently in trials at the moment. So, whether it even gets through trials or not, who knows? Um, it's got some good customers potentially on the list. It looks like a good product. This is just a, a classic binary outcome. If the thing works, they're going to make money. If it doesn't work, it's going to fall. And you have to decide whether to take that bet or not. That's not a bet I like to take. I don't like binary bets, I don't take them. You need a better insight than, than a yes or no. So, it's a, it's a no for me at this stage and, and recognize that this is a binary bet. Yeah, you make uh, making a hell of a lot of sense today, Gore. Uh, a couple of things I would uh, add on to that is that even if it does work, the path to commercialization always takes a lot longer than than people think. So mm -hmm. you know, don't think that just because they've got a viable product out there in the market that instantly things are going to go well for them. In fact, it's probably going to uh, constitute a whole bunch of added cost as they ramp up sales yeah. and marketing uh, and the rest of it. The other thing I'd probably remind you of as, of as well is there's nothing wrong at buying at a much higher price if it's a much better risk reward proposition. Yes, it's always good to get in early, but maybe it's worth sometimes paying a little bit more and just investing with far less risk and a little bit more certainty. What do you make of all that, Nathan? Is, uh, is Gaurav on the money here or has he got it completely wrong? Uh, I would love to say completely wrong, but you know, it's hard to this then. one. <laughs> uh, uh, look, it's, it's, a, it's a micro cap. You're trying to pick, um, will, will that thematic work? Uh, will that be then sold through? Um, as you said, uh, then you become a marketing company and you're trying to get into the um, services oriented businesses, the hospitals and all of that. Uh, look, it's, and you've got to remember the thematic, right? So we're in an environment where there's lockdowns and restrictions and the hospitals are trying to do more online services. So, you know, healthcare sector is on fire, um, services oriented technology is on fire. So this is the great time for it. And and the problem that I think Gurev mentioned quickly is that in a lot of these things, I always wonder why technology that's been created outside Australia come and list in Australia when they're trying to be global. Uh, it always kind of worries me. That's one point. The other one is, we, this, you, as you said, Andrew, it takes a long time. I mean, I, I followed numerous biotechs and um, health techs. That's taken years and years and years. And, you know, there's um, technology in the new frontier where there's 3D analytics. It takes a long time and a lot of people burn their capital to make that project come in place. And if they don't, when they get one or two things wrong, or if a competitor comes up with a better product, it's game over. Uh, so 
it's a tough one. What you said is exactly right. I'd rather buy someone at a higher price when they've proven themselves and they're getting traction. It's like buying mining services when they win contracts and the cycle has turned. When you're trying to do it too early, you take the downside risk and then you hope that it comes back. That's just not enough risk return for me. So this one for me, it's the same problem. You're getting in too early, I don't know, um, and it's a tough bet. And there's a lot of players that have proven themselves and further down the train doing other things that I think makes better risk return. So this is not a no for me, but look, if you're a high risk player and you know the management and you trust them, then maybe it's worth it. Okay, there you go, Jeffrey. Some food for thought. Be careful not to get your fingers burnt on that one. Let's move on to Highfield Resources. This one has been sent in by Damien uh, as a potash company listed on the ASX, uh, but they're still trying to develop this mine as I understand it. So pre-production and uh, therefore pre-revenue. Mathan, with you first this time, is this something that uh, tickles your fancy? Uh, I can imagine Gaurav's head about to explode because when I start talking about anything that's related to agriculture, <laughs> he loses it. Uh, uh, look, this is uh, an asset that we've been following for a long time. In my previous uh, position, uh, firm raised money for them a long time ago. This is a European asset that's been you know, coming for years and years. You've got to look at a 10-year chart. Uh, and you know how, you know, the initial optimism, I think it got to like a dollar eighty on, and it's then been sliding and sliding and sliding. And you get approvals every so often. It just keeps dragging on and on and on. The problem with I've got is when you're trying to link uh, an asset that's not producing and still in the early stages to the actual commodity price and get excited, that just doesn't work for me because... By the time you get the project up and running and producing, the commodity price could be completely different. So you've got to look at producers when things are working and take advantage of it. So we've been fans of, uh, for example, Instec Pivot uh, and where the fertilizer prices are, and they're doing well. I mean, we I think we got in in the lower twos. It's over three now and still looking quite good. So in that context, when you're trying to play a commodity, for me, unless you think this is going to be a multi-year uh, play in a commodity, which potentially it could, but you just don't know. In this current market, you just don't know how things play out. So you can look at a thematic, has it turned, and then you take advantage of it. And I think Highfield kind of plays into it. But remember, there's a bigger players coming into this space as well. And they got more money and they got bigger projects. So it's not going to be the main play. But look, right now, everyone's chasing everything that's linked to fertilizer, uh, food thematic, agri thematic. So um, it's going to get interest. But for me, I've followed this way too long, waited for way too long, and hasn't delivered much. So in that context, I'm not going there again. I'll wait and see. I'll, I'll, we're playing it through producers, um, and they are delivering for us, so we're happy there. Yeah, some uh, salient points. I do agree with you there, Nathan. It is interesting that the underlying commodity goes up, the stock follows. They're actually not digging up any of the stuff at this point in time. <laughs> but let's, let's... And then it may not be digging for years to come. You know, Hope Springs Eternal. The interesting thing, I had a very quick glance at it beforehand, Gaurav, and they sort of say, look, the modeling's very attractive. 30-year mine life, if they get this up and running, and the you know analysts have done their sums well. This is like 400 million, I think it was, in sorry, 400 million euro per annum in operating profit. Mm-hmm. So it tells a good story, but, you know, I guess not all of us can wait another 10 years. Is that what we might have to do here, do you think, Gaurav? Well, uh, potentially, Andrew, the... When you're buying a pre-production miner, you just got to pick your commodity very carefully. So potash is a is a bulk sort of commodity. It's not 
it's not as though you're digging up small bits of material and it's a simple processing technique and and you're away, right? You got to actually you got to build a lot of a bulk into your operation. You got to then build. You're moving a lot of dirt, so there's a lot of infrastructure and and uh, rail conveyors required. This is not the sort of commodity you want to be pre-production. Look, I myself, I bought gold miners um, pre-production. I bought copper miners pre-production, but those guys don't require huge capex up front. It's a it's a small amount of digging to do. It's a small amount of processing to do, and you can keep your costs quite kind of low um, before you generate cash flow and then expand gradually. These guys, you really have to build out your mind first up. So stage one capex is six hundred million dollars. This is a two hundred million dollar business, and the and they somehow have to raise three times their market cap to, um, to to build out stage one and then the stage two as well, which is another 300 million. I just think it's a very tall order. No matter how good your economics are, it's a really tall order to raise that much capital, to dilute mm-hmm. your equity that much. And the numbers to me, look, I haven't had a detailed look at the modeling, but I've seen a lot of these before. And they look a bit funny to me because, um, A, they only include their cash costs, which is absurd. So double that and see what that does to your NPV. And, and B, um, they don't include any dilution or any a cost of funding as well. So they're assuming that there's not that might, uh, not a lot of capital that dilutes the, uh, the, the returns. And there's going to be a lot of dilution in the returns. Um, look, the, 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 the geology itself is fine. Um, they're actually close to decent infrastructure. Um, but, um, and, and the deposit is shallow. So that means that the capex requirements are fairly low for this kind of operation. But I wouldn't be buying this. I just think, mm-hmm. you know, you can you can kid yourself and think that uh, that you're buying something with certainty when you're going to require an awful lot of luck to get out of this one. And you might get it, you might not. Again, you know, you, you can't really invest on on luck. And and so I'm, I'm going to give this a pass. Um, and and I'd look give this looking elsewhere. Yeah, history certainly replete with examples of a similar story. So hopefully uh, that has helped you there, Damien. Guys, let's. I'm going to really crack the whip here because we're past the halfway mark and we've still got to get to stock number five. Let's do a, a really quick one, power round, if you will, on this one. This is Australian Clinical Lab sent in by Trevor. The ticker code there is ACL, Private Provider of Pathology Services, 86 labs around Australia. Pathology all sort of uh, in the focus for perhaps the wrong reasons at the moment. Is this one that, uh, that you would buy, Nathan? Look, it's, it's just a play on what happens with COVID. Um, if... COVID keeps playing out, which probably will in the short term. Um, this will keep climbing, uh, but it, it's just a supply demand thing. If, if COVID keeps playing, there's going to be more tests. They should get another boost and they should keep climbing. I think in the short term, it's a pretty decent play. Um, has it peaked? It's hard to tell. Um, I suppose as as there's more and more tests, on, I think you know we're going to be going through this booster plan and whether we have enough boosters and during that time it's going to be volatile so i think for the next probably two to three months you're going to be doing relatively okay in this stock um, if you're in it i'll be holding i'm not going to chase it um, and the market's getting excited by that right now and I, i'd say if you're in it just sit back i think enjoy the the holiday period because i think you probably will get more and more case numbers and that'll probably get more and more test and it'll play out if it's not I'm, I'm not if i'm picking 10 15 stocks this is not in the top of my list but if you're there it's a hold because you're in the right cycle right now. Okay, fair enough. Gaurav, what do you think? This is without doubt the, the hardest stock to give an answer on at the moment. I actually think in the short term, stock's going up. Um, and that's because there's fear around testing, there's fear around COVID. 
And when that happens, people get testing done, and, and it's probably going to go up in, in the short term. It looks absurdly cheap on multiples, but I hasten to add that I think all of that is a mirage. I think underneath COVID, there's a really weak business here, and um, COVID has it's been a lifeline for this company. Um, Pre-COVID, these guys were barely scraping through with profit. They were barely profitable, despite having in their in the states where they compete with Sonic and Helios, they have the same number of collection centers. But Sonic makes three times as much revenue from that collection that from that collection base, wow. and 10x as much profit. 10x as much mm. profit. Um, in Mel in Victoria, um, the uh, uh, Helios was actually closing down collection centers that had higher uh, revenue than um, than ACL's average collection center revenue has. So there's an indication from the number two player that they were closing down centers that were making more money than ACL centers make. Again, I think there's a there's a weak business here being disguised by a short-term COVID boost, and people are starting to fall for it. So I just I just I I'd say exercise a lot of caution here. I reckon so we've we've had a go at figuring out how much money these guys might be making from COVID tests. We reckon they're making 80% EBITDA margins, 50% NPAT margins. Now Sonic and uh, well Sonic, which we've held and and had a buy on for a long time, they make about 15% um, EBIT margins across the board. You have to ask yourself, how much longer is the government going to fund 50% NPAT margins on this business? Um, and I, I don't think it's going to stick around for very long. So what you have at the end of the day is a company over-owning, has a short-term boost. Maybe they can do something good with that super normal profit. But um, I actually think this is probably um, a sell. I, I fully expect it to go up in the short term. If you want to play the trade, play the trade. But I'd be out of here pretty fast. Sounds sounds distinctly like a game of chicken uh, is what you're describing there. So uh, uh, I'll, yeah. let, I'll let viewers make up their own mind. Okay, let's do a very quick whirlwind wrap up of the first stocks that we have spoken about today. The stock of the day, as you know, was uh, poor old Magellan Group. Look, some really favorable things the guys had to say uh, at, uh, in regard to the company in terms of its long-term potential. Certainly doing it tough at the moment for that reason. Neither, neither of them were prepared to dip their toe in the water. We then moved to the REIT space with Charter Hall uh, and their uh, long whale fund, uh, CLW. Uh, we got uh, a couple ticks on this in terms of uh, what these guys do. They do a pretty good job of it. And if you're an income investor, you're going to get close to a 6% return, which ain't too bad as well. Uh, let's go to Universal Store, uh, Youth Apparel. Uh, look, uh, some again, um, some really uh, encouraging things to say about management here. But retail is tough, perhaps things getting a little bit of a COVID boost. So neither of the guys prepared to pull the trigger on that one at this point in time. We then went to Heramed, uh, really one of these stocks that's um, potentially doing some real good in the world with some uh, cool medical technology. But it is very, very, very early days, a very, very small uh, nano cap kind of company. Uh, both the gents, they're happy to just let that one play out without their money for the time being. And maybe come back and revisit it when things are a little bit more mature. Uh, you could say uh, very similar things, in fact, about Highfield Resources, which Damien sent in. These guys are into potash, developing a very big mine, lots of ambition there. But that ambition has been coming for a long time. So on that basis, so that was uh, two passes. And then we just finished up the first half then with Australian Clinical Laboratories and uh, doing okay of uh, recent times, but can that continue when COVID eventually wanes? Although we have been waiting for that for quite a while, haven't we? So there are the first uh, five stocks. And as I mentioned before, we do have a little bit of a portfolio here at the call. And uh, if we have two stocks, uh, sorry, if we have both of our experts say it's a buy, it gets added in, anything other than that, 
it gets kicked out. So let's have a very quick look at what we've added recently. Elmo Software has made it into the list. So has Vectian Technologies, Ebos Group, Adairs, Magellan Financial Group, uh, as you've just heard. Stocks that we have taken out of the portfolio include Ingham's, Atomos, Bapcor, and Harvey Norman. You can check out all of the stocks and there's a few ETFs in there as well. Uh, we have in the calls portfolio, which I should say was brought to us by our partners at Nabtrade. Thank you very much for that. Uh, and uh, if you want to check it out, go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Think having an SMSF is hard? Well, think again. Set up your own SMSF completely online with Stake Super and invest your super with freedom. There's no paperwork and Stake does all the admin. You just focus on the investing. Let's get into the second half, shall we? Let's go with a uh, much bigger miner. Uh, Gaurav, I'm going to start with you on this one. South 32, originally spun out of BHP Billiton. Julian's interested to, is us specifically uh, for you here. Um, very fortunate to buy in uh, last March at the bottom. Well done. Um, but is it time to lock in some profits? What do you reckon? Yeah, South 32. Wow, what a ride we've had with this one. So um, yeah, we were a lonely voice when this thing IPO'd. Uh, spun off from BHP, um, confidently saying buy, only to watch the price half <laughs> in very short in short order. Um, and you know, I was adamant. I remember digging into the weeds on this when I was looking through all their um, contracts in South Africa. I, I learned everything about South 32 in that period, and came away confident. And we maintained the buy, bought some more, and uh, it, it all worked out really, really well. I think we made triple um, the, the oh, money on that one at the time. Um, and now we, we've done it again um, because we had a, a buy on South 32 earlier in the year. Um, it's gone up a, a fair way, but I actually think things are different this time. Um, dangerous words in investing perhaps, mm -hmm. but um, this business has complete, is completely different from what it was a couple of years ago when it was spun out of BHP and the first time um, we had a go at it. Uh, they've just, they've traded assets really, really smartly. I think this might be um, the best management team in global mining. Um, they started the transition to good capital allocation and a focus on return on capital well before anyone else did it. It's a frustrated um, BHP CFO who got to run his own ship and is now the CEO of his own company. And um, you can just see the, the pride, the capital allocation and the strategic thinking at work here. I, I really like the team. I really like the management. Every move they've made has been a great one. Um, they have bought a large copper mine um, and they've looked for copper for years and years, and they've recently bought one. I was surprised that they bought this because this is a troubled operation. It's a huge mine in Chile, very big but low grade. And um, the, the, the issue there is they use so, uh, seawater. It's one of the few mines in the world that uses seawater to do the processing, and the seawater is gunking up a lot of their um, processing plants, and that problem needs to be solved. So, so South 32 saw the opportunity, has jumped in and bought this at a very attractive price. If they can sort out that processing issue, there's a profitable mine there that will generate decades of excellent returns for South 32. And it just shows you the way these guys work. You know, they, they're patient capital, waiting for opportunities, and when they come, they pounce. I think this is worth over five bucks a share. Um, and, uh, and I don't think it's been recognized by the market as or at all as being uh, completely different from them to what it was. 
Um, I'm going to go buy on this. Uh, we own it. Um, it's been a buy for Intelligent Investor for, for about a year or so, and it remains one today. Yes. Well, well done on that. I know it is very hard to sort of hold through those those tough periods. But uh, as they say, the market is a weighing machine long term. It looks like some weight there coming onto the scales, which is great. You mentioned capital allocation, which is interesting, too, because usually when I go through a miners uh, share issuance, you yeah. just see shares going up and up and up. And so I had to like I did a double take because these ones have been going down. The company's yeah, been a consistent right. buyer of their shares, which really did strike me as, as uh, uh, unique. Let's put it that way. Mason, what do you reckon? Do you share uh, Gorav's view on this one? Yeah, look, I, th I think it's a really well-run business. It's um, I, when you're looking for diversified um, miners out there, and obviously everyone goes default choice is BHP. Uh oh, it looks like uh, Mason's uh, internet connection has dropped off. So. Maybe we'll save a little bit of time there and we'll just scoot <laughs> right along to the next one. Um, Virgin Money, so something completely different. Uh, Gaurav, this one's been sent in by Stacey, a UK bank operating under some other brands, Clydesdale, Yorkshire Bank. They don't pay a dividend. Five-year history of the shares is pretty ordinary. That, uh, mm. that uh, very tricky PE, I'll, I'll quote that one because it is, it is ostensibly low here at a PE of six. What do you make of this one, Gaurav? Yeah, when I saw this on the list, Andrew, I remember this as being Clydesdale, the spin-off from NAB, and a thoroughly lousy bank. Um, I remember Value Hounds, you know, pitching this when it was 30% of of book, and then when it was less than that. And it's always been a lousy business. But in fact, the operation has changed quite a bit. They've actually merged with um, with Virgin in the UK, and they've created a a bigger, and I would think, and I would say, a much better institution. Um, it, it gone, Clydesdale was a really old school uh, bank with old customers and a terrible distribution network, um, a poorly thought out sales uh, business. And Virgin had all those things in spade, but probably didn't have enough scale. And the combination has probably made a much, much better business um, than I would have expected. Now, it's not really reflected in the profits or in the pricing. Um, profits actually gone up a fair bit. And, and I, think, uh, I think there's a turnaround at work here. Um, it, it, what to do with it look at trades on half book i don't think pe's are the right way to value banks because uh banks pretty much make up how much money they earn you really have to look at what the uh, uh what the loan book is and how much money you think they can make from the loan book and then give it a valuation so um i reckon it can probably eke out double digit returns on equity from here it should be able to do that and it probably doesn't deserve to trade on half book probably deserves to trade on about book or maybe slightly less so that if everything works out, they can get the turnaround underway. There's a potential double sitting here. It just depends whether you want to accept the risk of, uh, of things going wrong. And in UK banking, a lot of things can go wrong. I'm going to go with speculative buy here, Andrew. I think there's enough here, enough upside to warrant some interest. But um, it, is, it does come with risk. So spec buy for me, an unlikely one. I thought this was going to be terrible when I first looked at it. Yeah, I was, I was expecting you to say that, but then you do make some very interesting points. Nathan, I believe you are back. We've got you. Yes. Um, mate, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick uh, back and forward here. So very quickly, we're just going back to South 32, just because we've got to square that one away. Buy or sell or hold? Uh, look, I, I think for me, it's a hold at the moment, but I think it's great management. We got in um, early with Gaurav, uh, but we got out May, and uh, it's gone even higher. A great management. They're doing well. But I think in the shorter term, um, the commodity uncertainty of what's happening with currency wars uh, will probably have a bit of a hit on the miners, but we're looking at miners to be 
starting to turn around and outperforming early next year. Okay, and Virgin Money? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. Um, it's, it can be quite volatile in that category. Um, and I think what's happening in UK is probably um, throwing a few investors around. Uh, so you're seeing a bit of volatility. Um, I think it's, it's a risky play. Uh, I think the financials are risky here. I think the banks are risky here. Uh, banks are trading at pretty high multiples. Um, and I think as the tightening plays out with central banks, um, I think there's going to be standard credit standards are going to rise, and I think default rates are going to rise. Property prices will come off. This is a 40-year cycle that's turning around. Inflation is going to make that happen. So I think there's going to be a lot of stress in that sector. I just think the risk return is not with you in this one. And UK economy, there's a lot of uncertainty attached to it. And with what's happening with COVID um, and with the fiscal uh, standing, I mean, Bank of England raise rates while doing QE. That just tells you how complicated the process is at the moment. So I just think it's too hard for the economy to pick. Fair enough. Now, gents, we have a little bit over five minutes and we have three stocks. So I said power round. Oh, wow. This is, we need a really, we need a real quick uh, power round here. Uh, Nathan, give yeah. us uh, your quick take on Spirit Technologies. ST1 is the code. Robert wants to know, what does he do? Uh, look, the thematic is not playing out. Uh, the market is still not believing you're in a downgrade cycle. Um, I think there's a lot of bigger players that are doing better. Uh, I think it's going to be hard in the short term. It's, it's a bit for me, you're waiting for them to prove their play and I'm waiting for the next upgrade cycle to jump in. Yeah, it looks like the market's kind of with you on that one, at least of late. Uh, what do you reckon, Gaurav, with Spirit? Yeah, look, my problem with this company is really one of um, strategy. So this is a small business, $150 million telco business. And we have bought small telco businesses successfully in the past. And when we bought them well in the past, that there have been small telcos that do one thing, focus on one thing, do it really well, and then expand from that one operation. So Aussie Broadband did broadband, did it really well. Now it's going to do something else. Macquarie Telecom did um, business telco really well and expanding to something else. These guys have started off as a small business doing everything. And I just think that's too ambitious. This is a capital hungry business. They don't have enough cash or enough money to fulfill their ambition. I like that they're ambitious. I quite like management. I just don't agree with the strategy here. I would start on one thing and then move on something else. Um, there's too much going on. They bought NextGen, which I think is a lousy business anyway. And it's a sell for me. I, I, I do quite like management. They, they, they could put some, pull something out here, but. I think the risks are too high. There are better competitors. So, Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So uh, a lot of balls in the air for Spirit Telecommunica uh, Technologies, I should say. Gaurav, I'm going to stick with you here. Australian Vintage, mm. I hadn't heard of this one. AVG is the code Nate wants to know. So they're a vineyard manager. They make wine. They export it for domestic and international markets. 200 million market cap. Earnings moving in the right direction uh, in recent times. What do you think? Yeah, wine has got to be... The the worst business I can think of. I mean, you sit there growing growing grapes for years, um, all this capital tied up in your grapes. Then you've got to store in bottles for years, all this capital tied up in bottles. And then when you finally get to sell it, there's a, a hundred million competitors. No one knows anything about it. There's no brand loyalty. Um, and a lot of people do it for fun rather than profit. So, you know, every ingredient of a lousy business is in there. But these guys, uh, you know, I like management. Jeez, I, I followed these guys for a couple of years and they've just got a lot of hustle, you know. They they got pretty, I would call them mid-tier brands, McGuigan, Tempest 2, a few others, but they've just extracted a lot of a lot of good returns out of these brands. Marketing's um, really good and on point. 
Um, they do uh, a few other things um, to help returns along. But at the end of the day, this is a poorly returning business. So they're targeting um, return on capital of 7 or 8%. It's oh. pretty low. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're generating good cash flow. You know, a couple of years ago, these, these guys had more than $100 million of debt. And now they've got less than $40 million. So they're generating cash, paying off the debt. It's a good winemaker. It's a good um, alcohol business. But those are lousy industries. I still, unfortunately, sell this as much as I do like the management. I like what they're trying to do. I don't think the business quality is quite there. Trying to think of the quote when a uh, uh, industry with poor economics meets a uh, management team with a reputation for excellence. It's the industry's reputation that remains intact or something like that. So mm. maybe maybe relevant in this regard here. Do you agree, Nathan? Yeah, look, I, I followed this for years and always wondered why it didn't do better. And, and Gaurav's right, the industry is tough. Uh, it's, it's just shocking. Um, I mean, it, unless you're selling into China, it didn't make sense. That was basically for years. And, and and then I lost interest. And then I looked at it and it just went, bang, it's actually doing really well. And it started to run. The whole food thematic and everything linked to any kind of food in lockdown, everyone's doing well. I just didn't pick this to be the stock that would recover better than expected in that cycle. And they did. Um, management is great. They do really well in a crappy market. Uh, and they'll grind out growth, right? They, they find every little thing to deliver and they should be given full credit for what they've done. Um, mind you, I said this probably a lot lower when it's had the run and thought, oh, they've done really well, but I don't want to chase it. And again, it's done really well, but I don't want to chase it. Oh, I just can't get myself to buy it because of the dynamics. But look, the management's done really well, credit. Yep, yep, fair enough. Okay, that brings us to Lucky Last. This is a company that I held years ago and I haven't looked at it for a while, SDI Limited. So these guys make dental products. Uh, a company that sort of had to sort of pivot away from sort of the low margin amalgam business more into higher polymer kind of stuff, which is a bit better margin, something that's, uh, that's actually doing quite well. But it has, it has been masked by that decline in the amalgam sales. And I noticed a while ago it had this huge spike, so I took the opportunity to get out. But, but maybe I should have held on. What do you think, guys? It's now kicking around a dollar here. Is, is this something to revisit? Uh, Nathan, I'll start with you. Yeah, I'll, look, I've never heard of this stock one before. Uh, so it's, it's one of those ones that, you know, you get introduced new stocks. It's a great thing about the show. Um, look, I, I like it. I, I mean, I think it, it's a, in a market where we are, this is a kind of the unique business that's doing the transition that you know it has this defensive nature to it and uh so you know demographic change that's playing out all of these things works well for them so i i'm, I'm definitely interested i think it's a looks like management is doing the right thing um and so yeah i look i'm a fan um if you're in it i'll be holding i'd probably buy it i, th I think it, it's a good enough business for the macro where we are in and and the cycle they're doing and uh, as you said it the transition is being masking their recovering performance so um, it is one of those ones where you go, it's probably a good stock for this current market. So I'm a buyer of this one. Yeah, what do you reckon, Gaurav? It's also very tightly held by uh, the, the family founders of this business. Does that uh, make a difference for you? It often does. Yeah, we all know that the families and founders, um, yeah, we all look for that. We all look for that. But he's an example, I would say. And Andrew, as someone who held this a couple of years ago, I don't know what your experience was, but in the past, uh, the management has been appalling appallingly shareholder unfriendly. I haven't liked them at all. 
And this is one of the stocks, uh, this is a stock I have vowed in the past never to own at any price because I did not like the behavior of management at all. Mm. Um, now, things have changed since then, um, and I, I still need to get comfortable with the new management. I think they've done, they've really uh, have to earn my trust back, um, and it, it's going to take time for that to happen. But superficially, the numbers are all there. Now, I hate investing with numbers. I think that's the game for computers and <laughs> Uh, good investors don't don't do that. But you know, 13 times earnings, 3% yield, um, cash flow is good, clean balance sheet, margins are good. But I have to figure. I like to go through the balance sheet and find out why return on capitals appear unusually low for this kind of mm -hmm. business. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Um, they haven't grown revenue in years, and I think that's probably the reason why a low PE is completely appropriate for this company. And I don't think there's an opportunity. It might be one you can own to extract dividends, but again, I, I want to keep an eye on management, see if things have really changed. So I'm going to go with hold. Um, and and uh, just, if you have time, I'd love to know whether what you thought of, of management when you held it. <laughs> yeah, there was definitely some hairs. Oh man, there is so much to say, and yet I am getting a very serious wind up here. So this we'll have to <laughs> we'll put a bookmark in this, and we'll come back to it another okay. day. Thank you guys so much for your time. Always very insightful. Uh, have a great Christmas. You too. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, mate. Okay, yeah. let's do a very quick uh, wrap up of the back six here. South 32, Goro had some very, very positive things to say. I quote, the best management team in global mining. That is praise indeed. So it was a buy for him. Nathan wasn't as keen, but did have some, some a lot of positive things to say. It's a hold from him. Virgin Money, we got a speculative buy out of Gorov here. This is very much a turnaround business. Not the not the most wonderful history, but some maybe green shoots there. Nathan wasn't interested. Spirit Telecommunication, that was a double negative uh, for both of the guys there, not interested. The same to be said for Australian Vintage, which operates in a very tough industry. And then we landed up on SDI. Nathan, prepared to uh, give them a, uh, a bit of a go. Gorov just needs to do a little bit more work before he gets comfortable with it. That is it, that is the show, man. Time really does fly when you're having fun. Thank you once again to all of our viewers. Please make sure that you uh, send us lots of those uh, stocks in. Remember too, I've got to talk about the uh, portfolio here as well. We've been tracking it since July 1 last year with our partner NAB Trade. Geez, nearly forgot about this. The last week has been flat. The last month down about 2%. Financial year to date up about 8%. I want to hazard a guess. It's not on the screen, but since inception, I want to say it's probably up about 20 or 30%. So not bad at all. Obviously a reflection of all the very, very smart analysts that we have on this show. Well, that's it for me. Thank you so much for your time. I'll see you again tomorrow.